0: Diving into data. Diving. Di- diving. D- d- data. Diving into data. With TC Riley. Hello, hello, hello everyone. Welcome to another wonderful Wednesday here on Diving Into Data. My name is TC Riley. I am your host here. I'm flying solo today, do not have Tyler Kern, my partner in crime, here with me. Um, We're going to be changing up the format a little bit moving forward, we're going to, uh, I'm going to be hosting, um, just to warn everyone, I'm controlling the board today, the first time ever doing this, so when I randomly cut out or music randomly comes on, you will know why. And uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to start bringing in a couple of other guests. Um, we're going to have a couple of folks, maybe from my team, a couple um, other connections I have in the industry, maybe even some clients join us. Um, we're going to mix up the format a little bit. Tyler has plenty going on, and uh, so I'm uh, again, uh, bear with me as I go through any technical difficulties today. But what we have for you in today's show, um, something exciting. Um, what is affectionately called the Underwear Olympics, the NFL Combine. We're going to be diving into that, that completed last week and last weekend. Um, We're going to look at some of the analytical properties of that. We're going to look at how that's worked. And we're also then going to dive back into the coronavirus. I know this is something we touched on three weeks ago, but still probably the biggest story in the world, hands down, without a doubt. Um, And there have been some other updates, especially as it comes to, again, the economic impact. That's the side we're going to really stick to. But with that, we're going to go ahead and dive on in first into the NFL Combine. So again, as I said, the Underwear Olympics, as it's affectionately known in the NFL community, what the NFL Combine is, for those of you who aren't familiar, it is where the um, most likely drafted players, so not necessarily every player that can get drafted, but maybe the top 200, 250 players from college football that are draft eligible this year um, to go into the NFL, um, they all meet up in Indianapolis and they do testing. Um, and this testing includes everything from heights and weights and measurements. Um, it includes things like 40-yard dashes, broad jumps, vertical jumps, um, running some routes if you're a receiver, doing some drills. Um, pretty much it's a non-pad, non-contact individual assessment of all the players and what they're doing. Um, and this was really, really uh, big probably in the last decade, decade and a half that this has become something that has a following. Um, it's aired live on NFL Network for years and they actually even move it into primetime. On Thursday, Friday, and over the weekend. Um, it's become a spectacle for the NFL. The NFL has taken over our calendars year-round at this point. Um, again, it just you can't get away from the NFL. It's not even the draft yet, and yet we're still sitting here a month-plus out from the draft um, talking about the NFL as our sports story. Um, but what this event is meant to do is give those athletes a chance to highlight their athleticism, what they're good at, um, show off the teams. It also gives teams and agents a chance to start meeting these players, um, talking with them, getting information from them, um, starting to identify maybe some of the personality and character side things that they um, have questions about before they draft and make that decision, commit millions of dollars to this, um, probably 21, 22, 23 year old guy coming out of school. And um, also a nice little hotbed for agents and owners and people to meet regarding the upcoming free agency. The league year opens here in a couple weeks. So um, all around a cool event. Um, But what I really like to think of it is, is that the data version of scouting. Um, And the reason I like it so much is because it is very data point heavy. Um, This is the way, honestly, I think some NFL folks outside of the very basic stats, you know, completion percentage, passing or stuff like that gotten a step into the maybe next level you can call them analytics. What I mean by that is things like the 40-yard dash times, understanding vertical jumps, kind of having uh, comparisons in your head whether that is good or bad for the people. So I've always really, really liked it. Um, and then to go a step further, though, what does this really mean? Yes, these numbers are important. It does give you indications on how athletic, fast, strong um, that a lot of these players are, but it is not necessarily Again, what you see on the field come Sunday or come Saturday night in the past for these guys in college games. So, um, what some uh, an article I read was actually was over a year old uh, at this point from The Ringer, um, but it was talking about the race to make drafting an exact science. And this is something that's really, really interesting to me because draft boards historically have always been something that have a ton of variety in them. Um, a draft board is pretty much each team's rankings of players who they think, you know, is, uh, ooh, this guy's going to be really good. we got to get him higher. Um, he's worth an X round pick on or maybe he's not. Um, there's a ton of variety. Um, there's things that uh, naturally play into that. Obviously, different schemes, different um, teams that have different focuses. Uh, if you're on a 3-4 versus a 4-3 defense is one of the most basic things, which means three defensive linemen and four linebackers or four defensive linemen and three linebackers. Those people need to be able to do different things. In a 3-4, you need pass rusher outside linebackers. Um, in a 4-3, you need run stoppers and people who can cover. Um, but anyway, it, but beyond the kind of built-in um, variation that you're going to have, there's also a lot of cool things to look at. Um, a couple of just little examples. So Chris Richard, a former D coordinator of the Cowboys, a formerly uh, D coordinator and defensive backs coach for the Seahawks is famous for loving big corners. So um, he's always looking for cornerbacks that are like at six to and above and have so and so length. Um, really, really long guys. He cares about that more than the speed, whereas there's other teams that really, really focus on things like speed. The Raiders historically have been one that are famous for maybe overdrafting some guys based on a 40-yard dash time or based on their overall speed, even if they don't have the well-rounded game. Um, Best, most recent example, Daniel Jones going really high last year to the Giants. Most people had him ranked as a much lower quarterback, but the Giants said, nope, this is our guy. They went and took him. So they're always gonna have that variety. But what was really interesting when this article dove in is how that variety also bleeds over into the algorithms and the data and the analytics that these teams are applying. Um, this uh, writer went in and noticed that of the like ten or fifteen different teams that he looked into their algorithms and all, that the actual traits that are really the defining variables of that quote-unquote equation varied wildly from team to team. Um, some people like body composition was the most important thing, so you know percent body fat, you know build, height, strength. Um, that was the most important thing for one team in their formula. Another team literally didn't include that at all in their formula. Um, they also have things where a, one team has this red flag formula, um, which is certain physical things, especially tying into injury history that, you know, can automatically tell them that, Hey, there are enough red flags, injury risk with this guy based on this little model who we have here that you don't even want to draft him. Um, Even getting down into things like, are you looking more for their top game speed or 40-yard dash? The difference there is um, there are a lot of anecdotal examples of people who look very, very good running a 40-yard dash when they are in, again, shorts and a t-shirt. They can run really fast straight-line speed. But maybe those guys, when they throw the pads on on Sunday and are trying to get around a defensive back and then run that same speed, don't really demonstrate that high top-end speed. Or vice versa, guys who don't time well in the 40. Um, they don't, you know, look as fast, but when you watch them play, they're really, really good. They don't necessarily slow down, so it's great to see that um, there's all this variety. But what really makes a difference? Well, in the last two years, the thing that's really kind of leapt to the forefront in a lot of these algorithms is combining that combine data with player tracking data. Um, this is available through Next Gen Stats, um, and it's really, really interesting to see how these ne- this player tracking data has influenced the NFL level. Um, Thinking about things like the Raiders I mentioned, you know, used to be really focused on speed. Um, John Gruden, their coach, is actually really good now about incorporating analytics and changing the ways they do there. They love the player tracking data. They use that much more for speed and timing than they do anything else. Um, Andy Reid, Mike McCarthy, um, we've talked about those guys in the past, how they've incorporated it. The Ravens have incorporated it heavily. A lot of other teams have. But the draft is tougher. We don't have this perfect um, on-player, or I'm sorry, on-field player tracker that gives us this great relevant information for draft guys because they don't have this in college. They only have this right now in the NFL. They've had it in a couple bowl games. There've been a couple exceptions. If you're a really big primetime ESPN game one night you might have one or two you know, days worth or games worth of data on a player. But realistically, 90, 95% of the guys that you're trying to evaluate are from smaller schools or schools that maybe even they're not smaller schools but they didn't have those big primetime games. You don't have this information. You don't have this data. So things that matter probably even more Um, from a lot of these teams' perspective is the soft skills, the combination, the in-person, things that are maybe not as quantifiable. Now, trust me, if there is a will, there's a way. They have tried to quantify a lot of these things and do a lot of cool things to capture what really matters, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is quantifiable. And so I think this is a really interesting application when I start looking at how this compares to the business aspects of this because what you see um, in the analytics world, to me, the biggest kind of shortcoming a lot of folks have looking for positions or people in this industry have is being too data heavy in the data world. That might sound ridiculous. What are you talking about? How could you not be too data heavy if that's all you guys do is data? Well, the unicorn in our industry and what you're really looking for is someone who has the ability to understand the data and understand the soft skills and the communication side. And I think that's an awesome way of kind of looking at this NFL draft comparison is you need to be able to understand the data competency. You need to be able to understand how these advanced analytics, these machine learning algorithms, everything that technology has made available to us in this world has advanced in the last few years, while also being able to understand the business impact, the actual actionable impact. Um, I tell my team all the time, If all you can do is spout off a bunch of numbers and not actually explain to a client that, hey, I'm seeing this and this means that you need to X, Y, Z and clearly defined actionable steps that are also defendable with the data, then you're not actually adding any value. If all you're doing is spouting off numbers, the client or whoever you're talking to is going to walk away thinking, well, that's fine and dandy, but what the heck do I do with this? The ultimate data conundrum. So. Um, I think it's really interesting that teams are trying to now use both algorithms along with those soft skills to kind of create this quote unquote perfect formula to make the exact, you know, making drafting an exact science. Um, this is a draft picks or something that can cost GM and front offices in the NFL teams jobs. Um, a single draft pick going South, especially if it's a high first round pick can literally wipe out the entire front office. So this is important um, not only for the future of the franchise, but frankly to the jobs and the people that are there. So It's an important thing, it's really interesting to see how it's advanced, Um, and one of the things that I kind of really uh, caught my eye with this is this new next-gen stats draft model, the NGS draft model. Um, Again, next-gen stats is probably one of the, uh, on the forefront of uh, 21st century analytics in the NFL, Um, but what they've developed is something, it's a machine learning model, Um, that what it's rating is it on four different factors. It takes a bunch of different data points from all these athletes and gives them a score of 50 to 99 in the following categories. Athleticism, college production, size, and overall profile. Um, Overall profile kind of being everything else that isn't captured in athleticism, college production, and size. Um, And what they do is they look at all this position by position. So we're not comparing a quarterback to an offensive tackle to a punter. Um, we're comparing just offensive lineman to offensive lineman, or you know, DNs to DNs. Um, and what they do is they've built this model to continuously pretty much absorb as much data as possible and identify the critical points in all those things and make, again, a combined algorithm that almost gives people a perfect score. So you can see the college production of certain people um, the plans, uh, fancy pro football. I'm sorry, uh, PFF uh, pro grades um, that you're able to see that. Hey, this person scored you know really really well. Um, two examples leading the pack this year so far are C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy, the re- wide receivers out of O.U. and Alabama respectively, um, who on a college production score are pretty much off the charts, They're as high as you can be. And both of those guys also, after this weekend, are still at the top because they killed the athleticism, size, um, and overall profile. The things that are maybe a little bit more from the combine, a little bit more of the raw stats, not just what they did on the field. But the reason I like this model so much, and I think it has so much hope in the future um, for becoming something that's, again, driving us towards that quote-unquote exact science is that it does actually incorporate all the things that I think you need to think about. Um, athleticism is important in the NFL. You, you can't just take someone who's uh, you know a really, really good player and they you know, get their hand down in the dirt and they do it the right way. That's all good. You need that. You need that kind of stuff. But you need someone who also has the physical skills. Frankly, it, it's a professional sport. You need guys who are physically capable of playing the sport. Um, size, also something that's become increasingly important. Um, as NFL players, and this is across pretty much all pro sports, have continued to get bigger, faster, stronger, size matters at the end of the day. Um, And uh, trust me, coming from a 6'6", 250 guy, um, if you're big enough, um, they can overlook some of the other stuff. So uh, that's how my football career lasted as long as it did. Um, but with the overall profile, too, um, they're incorporating some of these again, these soft skills. So that includes things even like have they ever been suspended, um, what their Wonderlick, which is kind of an IQ test at the Combine, is. Um, they do a bunch of other things, but it boils it down to these four scores, which are then averaged to an overall score. And what Next Gen Stats is trying to do is literally give you a ranking from, you know, one to a thousand, let's say, of every person's score down to, you know, maybe it's the thousandth decimal place. Um, of how they rank and how they're expected to perform so that you can effectively then go as an NFL GM, let's say, or scout and say that, okay, so I can see that, Hey, he struggles a little bit in athleticism. He struggles this, this, and this. I had notes on all this before. I already was able to probably say that this is a plus or this is a minus, but now I can kind of statistically look at it and say, okay, The college production that he had wasn't as good as we'd like, even though he checks all these other boxes. Um, But the formula is saying that actually that college production was so low that it actually significantly drops this guy below some of these guys who maybe, again, didn't test as well at the combine, but they killed the college production. So I think it's a really cool way of, again, getting that soft skill, getting that uh, physical traits, getting the actual experience and production, stuff that actually at the end of the day matters, and combining it into a single score. Um, it's really exciting. It's something I actually want to do a little more research into. Um, I'm going to start a little R project, I think, on the side here because I think it could be a really fun thing to do. Um, I'm a geek. It is what it is. Um, but I-, I think that's the future of the NFL draft is the combine has pretty much been tapped out in terms of what they can get and what they're going to do and how much they, frankly, the NFL can make money off of it. So now it's going to be what can we even do with the data that takes it a step further than just simply being able to say that, oh, well, this guy's fast. But, of course, it's the NFL Combine. We do have to give a couple shout-outs to some of the standouts out there, some things that kind of made me say, what? Um, Very first one, Arizona State punter Michael Turk, 25 times benching at 225, which is the reps, the way they do bench. If you're not familiar with the NFL Combine, they put 225 pounds on there, slap 245s on each side, see how many reps you can do. It's not the maximum that you can do. It's how many times you can do that one. Um, 25 benches for a punter, which is absolutely bonkers. I can't even understand that. Um, it was more than 19 of the offensive linemen again. So some of the biggest, strongest guys on the field, this punter just beat 19 of them in the strength contest. Um, and including, in those 19 are probably the top two offensive line prospects this year, which are Tristan Wirfs and Makai Becton. Um, so that's, it's mind boggling to me that a punter was able to do that, but Hey, props to you, Michael, I don't know if that's actually going to help you punt in any way, but, um, bragging rights in the locker room, I guess. Um, getting back to those two offensive linemen, Tristan Wirfs and Makai Becton, I'm sorry, I'm messing his name up. It's a tough one to pronounce there. Um, had some numbers that are absolutely mind-boggling when you think about what the human body is capable of. Tristan Werfs, who stands 6'5", 320. Um, so again, I understand that's about my height. Um, he has definitely you know 70 pounds on me there, but um, a guy that I can think of, okay, you're relatively in my same ballpark of size, maybe just a little heavier. He ran a 4'8", 540. That is absolutely insane. That's better than a lot of receivers. He had a 36 and a half vertical, 120 inch broad jump. Those are athletic numbers that you would maybe expect from a really, really good athletic defensive end, someone who's 6'5 and 230 or 250 maybe max. But at 320 pounds, he was crushing that. And even maybe more impressive, Mr. Beckton there from Louisville, 5'1", forty, which um, five, uh, 5 flat 45 seconds um, is kind of usually the benchmark for, you know, you got to be below that. But. Um, when you went for most positions, I should say for offensive lineman, getting into the fives is not uncommon. He is six, 364 pounds. That man was able to run a five, one forty. That is a freight train rolling down the line that I do not want to be in front of. That one just stood out to me and made me just uh, shake my head. Um, a couple other quick shout outs, Justin Jefferson, Henry Ruggs, third, um, some receivers who had some very impressive results. Henry Ruggs was the fastest at the draft with a the 4.27. 2 um, Both of them are going to get helped out on draft day by those good numbers. Um, then in uh, everyone's glory positions, quarterback and uh, running back, uh, Jalen Hurts out of OU, Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, both had really good 40s. Um, then also hit on a couple technique things that are really important. Um, Jalen Hurts throwing the ball on point, throws good mechanics. Jonathan Taylor wasn't really receiving that at All- uh, I'm sorry with Wisconsin, um, but he was uh, did have good hands, had no drops there. So overall, impressive day for those guys. Um, again, the combine is something that's really exciting. I think it's really, really cool. And I think it's something that, um, as we advance even more with analytics, we're going to be able to incorporate more and more into the game. Maybe not make this a just before you're drafted thing, make this an every year thing that teams are testing these trying to optimize their players. So NFL draft the combine, there's your breakdown. We are going to take a quick commercial break here. Um, but we will be right back to dive into coronavirus here on diving into data. Tired of boring marketing content, don't have the time or budget to create the videos your company needs? MarketScale may be able to help. Ask us how we can create content for your company today. And welcome back. We're back here on Diving Into Data. As I mentioned, we've touched three weeks ago on the coronavirus and the economic impact that that had. But frankly, it's too big of a story for us not to dive back into. It's still number one on any news story you're looking at. So um, I was gonna touch on Super Tuesday that concluded yesterday um, about Biden kind of raising and taking on Bernie and that uh, coming up. Um, I was also gonna touch on this of the Google IP tracking changes, some big changes in the SEO stuff there. We're gonna keep those in the pocket for next week because we need to dive more into this coronavirus. So. Um, for those of you who didn't see it three weeks ago, what we talked about um, was how the coronavirus was expected to have all these impacts. This is when it just became a big global story. Um, you know, It started out in Wuhan there for a week or two where people didn't really say much, then all of a sudden, bam, it became, um, once it started leaping borders, it became a little bigger of a thing. Um, honestly, expected at this point, I-, I thought maybe it would tail off a little more than it did, but um, it is going so- strong. Um, more, A lot more cases, um, a lot more deaths worldwide. Um, it's also spread really far. It's not just China anymore. Um, Italy, Iran, South Korea all have very significant um, cases um, and a lot of issues there, a lot of quarantines going on. Um, and uh, even as touching here, those of us here in the US, um, we've had our first couple of deaths in Seattle. Um, there's also some cases on the east coast of people getting it for the first time. Um, so it, it was unique and it was different. Um, but the next time um, that we're talking about th- – last time, pardon me, we talked about this. We talked about how economic hits are going to uh, really – they're going to hurt a lot of things. Um, but we have a little bit more updated data. So last time we were talking about how maybe growth forecast year over year could be down as much as 0.5%. Um, unfortunately, it's now looking – some projections are saying that could actually go down to 1.5%. So um, uh, three times the drop maybe that we anticipated just a month ago. Um, Again, not everyone thinks it's going to be this bad. Some people think it's going to be better. Um, But a couple economic bureaus have come out with that and said literally the overall world economy growth rate this year is going to be slashed in half from 3 to 1.5, primarily from this coronavirus. Stock tanks. That's another thing that we've had some issues with and we've seen Um, here in the U.S., if you've been following the stock market, you've known the up and down, up and down we've been doing um, has been primarily down. Um, We've been in a really good spot for a long time. But uh, unfortunately, um, the last week or so has probably seen 10, 15% of our uh, overall market there um, evaporate. So uh, the weird thing about this actually is I noticed that the Shanghai markets, which were the first to react, obviously being in China, the epicenter of the outbreak, um, they're actually kind of still on a steady comeback, and they're almost only down 3% now from um, uh, let's call it pre-coronavirus kind of an interesting little thing there um, that maybe China's recovering. I, I almost, for other markets around the world, I would kind of look to China's markets as a indicator of things to come. Um, obviously, this could have a much bigger impact on the global economy. We don't know anything. This is not stock advice by any means. Um, but uh, it is interesting to see the markets, how they've reacted. Um, it's also interesting to see that I think this is the first Kind of um, severe economic incident where we had some very uh, high volatility in the stock market, where apps like Robinhood are common. And you're saying, what on earth are you talking about, TC? So, Robinhood, you aren't familiar uh, with that? It's a app that um, I'm grossly op- oversimplifying this, but it pretty much makes day trading easy and available for anyone who has a, a you know cell phone. Um, so, it makes it real easy for people to kind of jump in and try and play the market, you know, up down. I think what we're seeing in the massive swings, I think a little bit of it might be those technological advancements, the access people have to, ooh, it looks like it's gonna be a bad day, I'm gonna go quickly sell some stock. Um, one person doing that or one company even doing that doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world or do a ton. However, when a lot of different people are doing that, yeah, that's uh, that could actually impact it. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, but a couple of the other global indicators, so production slowdown, Um, We know that there was, uh, again, Wuhan called the Chicago of China sometimes. We know there's some production delays there, especially after their Chinese New Year and the slow comeback. Um, It's too early to really, really, really tell um, long-term how that's going to impact it. Um, However, without a doubt, something that was interesting um, was the uh, anecdotal evidence of this slowdown. Um, There's some really cool pictures making their way around online right now of pollution in China. Um, around this time uh, with the coronavirus and the shutdowns they've had compared to other times in the past um, around this time of year. Um, and specifically what it's looking at is uh, nitrogen dioxide, um, which is a common pollutant uh, from you know chemicals, factories, plants, um, something that uh, produces a lot. Um, and pretty much think it's a visual, I encourage you to go look it up, but it's a heat map that shows a typically a red epicenter around Wuhan and that area um, with a lot of orange and yellow on it, which is pretty much saying that there's mild to very high um, you know, pollution coming from this area. It is perfectly blue right now and has been for about a month. Um, even as a couple of these factories have started back up, it's still well, well below pollution levels. Um, we're not going to steer too far down the environmental sign today, but that I think is, uh, if you had any doubts of actual production slowdowns and oh, I bet they're still making them work and stuff, well, the factories aren't producing pollution Um, almost all those factories do produce a lot of that. So uh, I think we're without a doubt, we've seen that production slow down. So it's going to be interesting to see again, as we go through to the coming weeks, months, even years, what that production slowdown for in terms of supply chain logistics is going to do downstream. Um, I think it's interesting downstream our word from last time, if you uh, remember our term of the week. Um, but, uh, the other thing Um, that stands out a couple things around China specifically, Um, the consumer crunch that they're in, they have trillions of dollars in what are now going to be considered at-risk loans um, based on the fact that there's a lot of small businesses that have not been able to operate. Even if they've been able to operate, people have not been going out and purchasing and selling. Um, There could be a little bit of a financial crisis there that they're opening themselves up to. This month, car sales are down 92% in China. Um, again, that's just a lot of, there's no, a lot of people are staying home, not either quarantining themselves or at least just not going out in public on purpose. A car is something that you don't typically need right this second, right away. Um, and you're not really driving anywhere anyway. So that's not a massive surprise, but down 92%. Um, I'm glad I'm not a Chinese automaker. Um, and then air travel um, down both out of China and into China um, over 50%. Again, uh, but we would expect all these things that, that those are things that are directly tied to um, a industry and a country really s- buckling down, staying in trying to weather the storm here. Um, but uh, a couple of little uh, one little good sign we do see is that the shipping projections for smartphones, which China's a massive producer of, um actually, almost every projection I've seen has it um, either by q two just here and you know starting in a month or so, or definitely by q three being back to full levels. Um, so what that is one indicator of, that's one of the only industries and you know, specific products that I've seen. Um, what they believe are accurate forecasts is that yes, we are in a slump. Um, I want to say the Q1 numbers were down over 50% for the smartphone deliveries and the shipping, but this isn't going to be forever they're expecting. Again, from uh, we're still in a little bit of a you know gray area risk period since the virus is still spreading and going and moving and advancing, um, but people are still expecting it by Q2, definitely by Q3 things to level back out. So we're not necessarily looking at something where we think this is going to be bleeding into the economic impact of 2021. Um, again, all that saying at this point, um, things could always change. So you never know. Um, and then the last little nugget from a global standpoint, gold is actually back to his 2012 price. Gold is one of those commodities that um, pretty much, if you look at the price of gold, it typically is the inverse of the stock markets. Um, when people see risk in the markets, when they see Things like stocks and valuations that are, ooh, that's risky. They're going down. I'm expecting them to go down more. People turn to gold, which is that, you know, again, the good old gold standard, um, which is the safe bet. Um, the other ones that are in this, besides gold and uh, precious metals, things like that, um, are 10 year bonds, which are now below 1%. Um, for those of you who don't know what that means, bonds are the. Um, the safe tap out compared to stocks. Um, I know I'm, again, I'm sorry for any financial advisors out there that I'm grossly oversimplifying this, but um, people go to bonds whenever they're worried about stocks because bonds are guaranteed a rate of return. It's typically very low compared to what you get from stocks, but um, it is not something that um, you're going to invest in if you think the stock market is going to do well. The fact that it's below 1% now and people are still purchasing them means that people are okay saying that in 10 years, I'm going to get 1% return here. I still feel better about that than I do riding with the market, which almost certainly means that they're all expecting the market to go significantly lower than it is now. Um, And not only significantly lower, but stay below there. They're not expecting it, um, again, this to be a one or two quarter thing where we pop back up and we're good to go. So it's something to look at there. But as we've touched on the global things, there are a couple other little things happening here in the US we definitely need to look at. Um, First, the Fed cut the interest rate yesterday by uh, half a point. That is very, very unique because it is not a scheduled meeting. They literally kind of preemptively, proactively came out and did this cut um, and ordered. This is, and they pretty much said, it's directly tied to the uncertainty around coronavirus to keep people spending. Um, Again, when they cut those rates, it's supposed to encourage consumer spending because it kind of discourages consumer saving. Um, And they're going to meet again in two weeks. It could still go lower. Um, So the Fed is playing offense here. Um, And I think that uh, it's kind of a unique approach that they they don't typically react this quickly. Um, But uh, it's going to be hard to tell from a global impact what we're really going to do. What we need to look at is a New York Times article said, check the barbershops. What we're looking at there is things where these are direct issues that um, pretty I'm sorry, things that are not directly tied to the spread. So, yes, travel is going to be down. but people should still be getting haircuts. We haven't seen drop-offs and things like that yet, but we absolutely could. Um, We haven't seen layoffs. We haven't seen a long-term impact. The Fed's trying to play offense with that, but it is something we need to be aware of. When we start to see consumer goods and things on that side take a hit, um, it's driving towards recession, which, uh, again, is our term of the week, um, it's an economic downturn where GDP is down two consecutive quarters. Um, I, I don't think we're headed there, but it is something to be aware of and something we've got to be careful about. So, um, it, it's going to be a long ride buckle up. We're still in the midst of the coronavirus, um, scare, but anyway, that is all the time we do have today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, again, we'll be flying solo from here on out, but I'll, uh, see if we have a guest next week, but until then take care.